возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение перед Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим исповедание веры нашего сердца. Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. May in this place be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, stagnancy, ignorance. All of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, O Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented by Apostle Arkady in your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to lead it with your high and uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May you be blessed. Please be seated. The book of Jeremiah 6, 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Returning to the old path of good. We know that the opportunity to find or to return to the old path of good is the opportunity to, be, to come into the kingdom of heaven through the narrow gate, which in scripture is defined as the elementary teaching, or more specifically, the governing teaching of Jesus Christ, who has come in the flesh. Matthew seven thirteen fourteen. it is written, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And as we have previously noted, Returning to the old path of good or finding the narrow gate in the teaching of Jesus Christ is not something many achieve. And this, per the many statements of Christ, means that not many who due to their stiff neck and ignorance will be able to find the narrow gate in the elementary teaching of Christ, but will instead inherit eternal destruction. But those who will humble their heart before God and will become his student will be able to enter the narrow gate and walk the narrow path demonstrated in the elementary teaching of Jesus Christ, they will be able to inherit eternal life. As a basis for our study of the old path of good, we turn to the words of Apostle Paul, who by the mercy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit was successfully able to, in short and exact definitions, explain the consistency of the order that consists <clears throat> within the teaching of Jesus Christ. 
Hebrews 6, 1 through 2, an elaborated version of this place. Therefore, sprinkling ourselves with the elementary teaching of Christ and clothing ourselves with the armor of light, which consists in the rule of this teaching, we will then build ourselves into a house of God, because it is not possible to lay again the foundation of the repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of the hands, resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Hebrews 6, 1 through 2. In a specific format, as much as God has allowed and according to the measure of our faith, we already studied the doctrine of baptisms, including the baptism of water, Holy Spirit, and fire. Therefore, according to the order of sequence presented by the Holy Spirit by Apostle Paul, we will turn to the next doctrine. This is the doctrine of laying on of the hands, which contains three ascending steps of covenants with God, and these are the covenant of blood, the covenant of salt, and the covenant of rest. Making these three covenants are called to happen, flow, and be within three baptisms, the baptism of water, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the baptism of fire. <clears throat> baptism of water is the covenant of blood, baptism of the Holy Spirit is the covenant of salt, and the baptism of fire is the covenant of rest. We come into God's rest, into the true Sabbath. We become those that are of the Sabbath. <clears throat> and so, although we are also Catholics and we are also Orthodox and we're Adventists and we're of the day of the Sabbath and to be able to be these things, you actually have to be them to enter into this day of rest, day of the Lord's rest. <clears throat> Therefore, the doctrine of laying on of the hands is a teaching about making a covenant between God and man, and between man and God. The teaching of the laying on of the hands is a teaching about a contract that you make with God. If you are asked, what does it mean, the doctrine of laying on of the hands? This is a teaching about a contract that we make in the baptism of water, Holy Spirit, and fire. A contract between God and man. Laying on of the hands is a symbol of the legal aspect where a person with his own hand personally signs an agreement with God where he, con where he consciously commits to serve God with a good conscience. In Scripture, in the Old covenant any offering made to God required the laying on of the hands of the one who was offering it. Leviticus 1.4 Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. Today we take a pen and sign a document. In Israel this didn't exist. Everything was signed with blood. <clears throat> the offering of offering that they would bring a sacrifice and they would lay their hands on the offering and would confess and receive justification this is was their signature this is how they signed we use ink today then this is how they did it laying one of the hands out of the norms of the covenant and not in agreement with the norms of the covenant does not obtain favor in the cleansing of our sins this is because specifically by the means of laying on of the hands, the sins of a person are moved to the, to the head of the innocent or guiltless offering, and the innocence of the offering was moved to the head of the one offering it. This is specifically why a prayer that is not supported with a covenant with God 
made with him in the baptisms will not be successful. Laying on of the hands is a symbol of the confessions of the faith of the heart, stating that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead for our justification. Romans 10, 9, 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Lord Jesus and believed in your and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto salvation and unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so if you can, uh, in a very distinctive phrase, uh, explain what the laying on of the hands is, the doctrine of the laying on of the, of the hands. This is a, a contract between God and man, man with God. This is a personal uh agreement or consent a promise to follow your uh, your role or your side of the contract and this is so that every area of our essence spirit soul and body would be in the resurrection of Christ this is the laying on of the hands this is the signed contract I repent I confess my sins I proclaim that the destiny that's there will become mine that is Jesus' destiny will become mine and my curse come, go, goes upon Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus resurrected in my life. I accept resurrection from my spirit, soul, and body and confirm it with the confessions of my, of my mouth. What happens then? This, the, this is the ink, the, our, our proclamation. This is a signed contract in the baptism of water. This happens by confessing the faith of our heart. Therefore, we have three levels of covenants, which will pursue one goal, but fulfill three unique functions. Pastor has talked about this again and again. Look at all of this as one baptism, as one covenant. When you study, when you go through these names, the Lord is our fortress. We are fortress for for the Lord and the Lord for us. There's not that the Lord is in us, but we're not in Christ. As soon as the Lord is in us, then we are, if we are fortress for Him, then the, we, then he immediately becomes a fortress for us. It can't be that one side is happening, the other isn't. It can't be I'm a fortress, but he is not mine. If I am his fortress, he is my fortress. It is all one and is done together in one. In this situation, of course, we're talking about the covenants, that this is one covenant, but in it, there are different functions that will allow us to grow because our goal is to be grown into full measure of growth in Christ and for that we need a covenant and that has different functions and these different functions are in the baptism of the water, Holy Spirit and fire. Our spirit is inherent to God, it is in the likeness of God but our soul needs to be grown into full measure and our spirit needs to grow into full measure of growth in Christ and as he is still small, we are inherent to God but we have an intellect that does not love God and needs to be changed. I have nations that are my emotions, my desires, my thoughts, my corrupt thoughts, anger, jealousy, all of this is in me. Why? Because, uh, and you begin to realize this just as David did because the spirit begins to grow and you need a covenant of blood, uh, salt, and rest. This is one contract with all of these functions. We will look at eight components of a mutual covenant between God and man. We'll look at them as one covenant, but 
in these individual components and the next will then will next services will talk about the blood and then also the the covenant of rest let's look at a mutual what a mutual covenant between god and man is first a mutual covenant between god and man is presented in three great names abraham isaac and jacob exodus 3 13 through 15. then moses said to god indeed when i come to the children of israel and say to them the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am, he said. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he sent to, he sent to you. Partaking to the virtue of the names of the three forefathers, of the three forefathers is to happen by the means of our faith in Jesus Christ. And so he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are all Jews, and all of us who are of, of the Slavic nations, the Hispanic nations, whatever nations we're from, uh, are receiving salvation through uh, Jesus Christ. And we say, well, how is it that uh, it, it was given to the Jews, but were of different nations. This happens through circumcision. Circumcision that is of the heart. It is not of the flesh, but of the spirit. And we are given the greatest way of circumcision. The, the best way to circumcise ourselves is circumcise our heart uh, from dead work so that we can uh, take hold of the inheritance uh, that that was offered to the Jews and also belongs to us and not do it through some trickery or through other ways of deception and so let us look at where the blessing of Abraham is given to us Gentiles through Jesus Christ and the Jews of course that also received Jesus Christ as well Galatians 3 13 14 Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Therefore, we together can become partakers to the blessings contained in the covenant which God has made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob only by our faith in Jesus Christ, which we have confirmed in the baptisms of the wa of water, Holy Spirit, and fire. Exodus 2, 24, 25. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Exodus 2, 24, 25. According to the given words, we conclude that a mutual covenant between God and man is the legitimate right to enter and possess the imperishable inheritance in the form of the city whose builder and maker is God. As soon as... They began to turn to God, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He gave to them the promised land. He allowed them to enter into the lot, which he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we today enter the same lot. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an, inher as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him, 
him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which was foundation with its foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. And so he was waiting again for the city which has the foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Why are we studying the 12 foundations, the 12 gates, the 12 fruits, each fruit, one fruit, uh, fruit for each month, so that we can become this city? Abraham understood that the city is in the Spirit, it's in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ. This is the bride of the Lamb. And he continuously looked and and was, uh, pretty much saw himself as a member of it. And we are also all members of it through the blessing of Abraham because we are this city. Second, we're talking about a mutual covenant between God and man. And we're looking at the, the, uh, mu- the general picture of what a mutual covenant a contract with God means a mutual covenant between God and man is an eternal everlasting ordered and secure second <clears throat> Samuel 2 second Samuel 23 4 through 7 and he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises a morning without clouds like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain although my house is not so with God Again, he shall, yet he has made with me, although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire, will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall all be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches uh, them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place in their place. According to the given place, we conclude that the covenant made with God being ordered and secure will depend upon the fulfillment of a, of a condition which is to become armed with iron and the shaft of a spear and thrust away the thorns from your life and burn them with fire in their place. And so the Lord is throwing out the thorns from the church today. And the Lord and the people of his people in the church are throwing out the thorns out of their own lives as well. And so people that are thorns that are being thrown out are obviously carnal men, people who choose not to leave spiritual infancy, have become carnal people, and that means to die spiritually, begin to resist the truth, and these are the people he throws out. And we as his people are throwing out thorns from within our own lives. In one of his parables, Jesus spoke about the fact that thorns is dependence upon wealth and the cares of this generation. And if you do not thrust them out of your heart, then the soil of your heart will never be able to be good soil for the good seed of the kingdom of heaven. 1 Timothy 6, 10, 11, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. And what does it mean, love for money? That doesn't mean you have to have a lot of money. This is mean when you you feel like you can buy God and pay God so that He does whatever you want. This is love for money. <clears throat> and we talked about this a little bit during the service of tithe. 
Third, a mutual covenant between God and man is an agreement or accord of relationships and collaboration. Genesis 17, 3 through 16. Then, Ab- then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you in their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Here it's, of course, uh, also implying a baptism and the circumcision of the heart. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant and you your descendants after you throughout your generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generation, who he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendants, he who is born in your house and he who is brought, bought with money must be circumcised. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of their foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. This agreement places a responsibility upon man to proclaim the not existent as existent. At the same time, God takes upon himself the responsibility to make this not existent as existent. And so Abraham and Isaac did this, or Abraham and Sarah did this every day because he was Abraham and he became Abraham, the father of many nations. And he would continually state this and proclaim this and they remained in this covenant. And People laughed at them, of course, and and smiled. How is it that uh, these elderly people are are in their uh, eyes of others may have been even uh, uh, unreasonable in appearance, but they believed these things as God told them and proclaimed them, and they proclaimed who Abraham is and I, and who Sarah is. We need to pay attention to the fact that to proclaim the not existent as existent, you need the factor of circumcision serving as a sign of the covenant between you and God. The factor of circumcision, it's not enough just to call each other and proclaim the not existent as existent. It happens when you're circumcised, and the factor of circumcision is the testimony of the cross of Christ, where by the cross of the Lord Jesus, the world is crucified to us and we to the world. This is the state of the soil of the heart. That is called, this is the state of the good soil of the heart, It's called good soil, where you sow the seed of the imperishable inheritance you receive with the faith of your heart, the inheritance that is imperishable, which is placed in our name in heaven, but has not come in full strength yet, or has not yet been revealed. We begin proclaiming it with the mouth as already existent. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
And so again, we proclaim this not existent as existent. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. And so the Lord has bore us and he has bore us to what? To a living hope, to an inheritance that is incorrupt and undefiled. It is kept in heaven and it will be revealed in the last times. It's revealed for those who who have kept themselves in salvation. What does it mean to keep yourself in salvation? That means to receive salvation as a guarantee. That means, and having it as a guarantee means that I know that my spirit is saved and it and is in God's likeness, but my soul is not, and my thoughts and actions and words are as Satan, and so I need to bring my soul into salvation. And when I bring my soul into salvation, I will begin to thank God that he also adopted my body, which is corrupt, and it will be soon heavenly. <clears throat> Fourth, we continue to look at the uh, general picture of what a mutual covenant with God is between man and God. A mutual covenant between God and man is the collaboration of the mind of Christ and the mind of man. 1 Corinthians 2, 14-16 But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he might instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. According to the given statement, we conclude that a mutual covenant between God and man becomes active upon one condition, that is, when man leaves spiritual infancy and is grown into full measure of growth in Christ, where he no longer is attracted by various winds of teaching, as carnal infants do because carnal are always infants but infants are not always carnal and so those that are are carnal and also infants who continue to be so and don't want to leave it these have become then the thorns that we were talking about and you need to have the mind of Christ and and having the mind of Christ you are no longer an infant the mind of Christ is an identification of the wisdom of God within the heart of man capable of dem- of numbering his days. <clears throat> so you not be just saved uh, by chance, as it were, but you know that you are saved and you're sure of it, that I have kept my salvation, I've done, I fulfilled my calling, and now a crown is waiting for me. Psalm 90.12, to teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Numbering our days is to comprehend your eternal purpose in God as well as the power <clears throat> which when we collaborate with it, we achieve our purpose. Proverbs 8.12 and also Proverbs 8.15-16 and 36. I wisdom dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. By me kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, all the judges of the earth. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me love death. You can't make a contract with God if you don't have Christ. Why do we not baptize little children? 
a person needs to understand what he's doing, what he's actually doing. Of course, a little child can be baptized uh, by the Holy Spirit because of such as the kingdom of heaven, but they can't use or utilize the full potential of baptism of <clears throat> of the baptisms until they know that they no longer are called sons and daughters of Pharaoh. It's like a, a automobile that's in my garage. I can't give an eight-year-old this car so that he drives it. And so when he refuses to be called a son of Pharaoh, then he legitimately can begin to utilize the baptism, baptisms, baptisms in fullness. And so don't push children to re, uh, be baptized by the Holy Spirit. But I want my son, as Pastor Akadi, Pastor Akadi received the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a little boy because the Lord prepared him, was preparing him to be an apostle. And so please don't push your pressure your children to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This automobile needs to stand in the stay in the car for now. The doctrine of laying on of the hands containing the power of the three covenants is a teaching of collaboration of the wisdom of God and the renewed mind of man, placed in dependence of a good heart. It is specifically due to the wisdom of God in the form of the Son of God that the visible world was created and ordered in the image of the invisible world, as it is written. And so again, by the means of wisdom, the Lord uh, ordered the world and created the world. Genesis 1-1-2, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The lifeless, empty, unbuilt, and uh, and covered with dark, deep waters, the planet earth, by the means of the word of wisdom, and because of the word of wisdom, obtained an ordered and perfect form. Genesis 1.16, then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. That's how he uh, put order, placed order using the mind of Christ, using these two great lights. He brought order. The cooperation of the two great lights is a symbol and prototype of a mutual covenant of God and man and man with God. The light coming from the two great lights called to rule the day and the night in a person's essence is information coming from God in the form of his commandments. Psalm 74, 16, 17. The day is yours, the night also is yours. It's talking about a positive day and positive night. You have prepared the light and the sun. You have set all the borders of the earth. You have made summer and winter. And so what is night and what is day? Night is the born spirit of man. Because specifically in this night, in the quiet, in this darkness, the Lord desires to dwell. At the same time, day is the renewed mind of man, placed in dependence of his good heart. Day is the renewed mind of man, placed in dependence of his good heart. 
and night is the born spirit of man. God speaks in the spirit of man, and the heart, by the means of the intuition, reveals to the mind of man what God has said. Psalm 19.2 Day unto day utters speech, and the night unto night reveals knowledge. And so the Lord shows here how the covenant works. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. And night unto night is when I hear the anointed word and accept it into my heart. This night uh, reveals knowledge to me. Night unto night. And the day unto day utter speech. And so when I begin to understand the truth that I hear, this day passes on to this day to my lips which then utter speech. Night unto night, so that day to day, our mind to our lips is day unto day. And so, it's necessary that this cooperation exists. And this exists when a person has built themselves into a house of God, a, a holy priesthood. There cannot be any priesthood until a person becomes a tabernacle. A tabernacle begins with the ark. Ark is the sacred spirit of man. And how do you determine whether you have this ark? The ark is when I acknowledge a person whom God has sent. What was in the ark? The ark had the rod of Aaron. If you remember Dathan and the others who complained, uh, if you remember that he had struck them, the Lord had struck them, and they came the next morning, the Lord told them to wait until morning. When they came in, they saw the rod of Aaron, which was the rod of Moses, began to bloom. It received, it, and they saw buds, and they said, take this and put it in the ark. This means that I acknowledge the anointed of God. What was else? What else was there? The, the cup with manna, the golden cup with man, manna. This is the Jewish phrase, manna, what is this? What is this you're reading? Manna, do you understand it? No. But to understand it, we'll talk about the golden table of showbreads. I accept. I accept God's messenger and I accept the cup with manna and the tablets of the covenant. What are the tablets of the covenant? The word that is given to man, to the one who is sent by God. This is the fundamental truth. And so when these three components are in the ark, that means that I have this ark. I receive God's messenger. I receive the word. He said to Peter, why did you not leave with the others? Uh, I have an ark, he said. I received the one whom God has sent. And when we have an ark, the Lord takes this revelation, and when we hear, we hear the sermon, the Lord puts it upon the table of showbreads, the breads, in two rows. For the table of showbreads to work, it's necessary for the cakes to be in two rows, six and six, upon the table of showbreads. Two rows is when the Lord confirms His covenant. Two rows is when we take the truth that we repeat and we proclaim again and again. We repeat. A person who is not abiding in the truth, not proclaiming at home and in cell groups, or, uh, this is a person who does not have a table of showbreads. And so the Lord in this way confirms the covenant with you and we have this then oil fragrant oil where we also 
uh, it's an anointing of the of the word and at the time when the priest would at the end of the week it would lay there uh, for a week and then the the priest would take that bread and eat it a person began to understand the truth and began his his mind was enlightened and the golden lamp then allowed the censer to burn as well because of the oil and the censer which was uh, a censer is coals which are filled with the power of the saints and so when I have the table of showbreads what I don't understand but the words I don't understand but I accept them and keep them in myself and the vessel of oil that was next to the lamp and as soon as the vessel is full, you begin to add to the lamp. And this is word that you now understand. The word that the the oil that you're adding to your lamp is the word you do understand. As the vessel is the word that you don't understand, but you keep in yourself, and you accept, and you keep. And so the teaching is order is is in order within your heart, and you continue to add again from the vessel of the oil. This is the information you receive that you accept. Uh, that you then add into your lamp this is beginning to understand the truth and so day unto day utter speech and night unto night reveals knowledge the cooperation of the two great lights consists in God giving his command to man without and man without question then doing what God has commanded John 8 12 and so it's first in Jesus Christ this light and then we become a light the Lord says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. To follow the light is to immediately and without any compromises follow or do what has been commanded because this light functions and shows itself when we listen to the preached word about the kingdom of heaven. John 9, 5, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the sal- with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. John 9, 5-7. And so every person is born blind, and for this blindness to be gone, we need to make, we need Jesus through his word to make this, uh, the spittle with the, with this with his saliva and with the clay and as soon as he washed his eyes in Siloam he no longer was a an infant and became a mature or grown man and so that's when he says you are light to the world you were blind and now you begin to see and he says I'm blind I can't see do you want to see he says yes and so he then makes the spittle he puts it in his eyes and he says go to Siloam May in the church they open your eyes, and he. And as soon as he began receiving the word, he began to see. And it says, you are light to the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do, do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, so they may see your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. And so, 
шее в церкви душевной, а во главе стоят, разумеется, духовный человек сокровенный и духовные люди, Господи Бога. Пятое. Единый завет между Богом и человеком – это юридическое право на обладание друг другом и на отождествление. Fifth, a mutual covenant between God and man is the legitimate right to possess one another and to identify oneself in the other. Hebrews 8:10. For this is the covenant that I will make with you, the house of Israel, after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in your mind and write them on your heart. I will be your God, and they shall be my people. A component of a covenant with God being the right to possess one another is identified in the conditions of marriage partners where God and man who is in his likeness are dissolved in one the other being dissolved in God as in your beloved a person receives the opportunity to demonstrate the great mystery of unity or unification which is present in the relationship of the Father Son and Holy Spirit <clears throat> Ephesians 5 31 through 33 for the, this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to, joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh this is a great mystery but I speak concerning Christ and the church nevertheless let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let his wife see that she is respected that she respects her husband John 17 23 I am in them and you in me that they may know that they may be made perfect in one, and the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you loved, as you have loved me. Further, we continue talking about the mutual covenant between God and man. Sixth, a mutual covenant between God and man pa- is passing on sovereign power and authority over one another. Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over all the earth. This place of scripture is a fundamental and legitimate foundation for building a sovereign relationship between God and man, who is both sovereign and in his likeness. With these words, God binds himself with his words, which he has placed above all of his names. And so he, God has bound himself with his words, which he has placed above all his names, to not undertake any action on earth without the consent of man. Same thing with man, who is unable to build a relationship with God without God's consent. However, the author of the conditions upon which these sovereign relationships are to be built with man who is in his likeness, the author from start to finish, is God. And so God had created the contract, not us. God did not. God created the contract and offered it, and we're reading a contract this, when we're reading these the words, we're, we're standing in this word, this is God's contract, the conditions. And so it's like in the time of, uh, uh, during this, uh, a marriage or when people are getting married, there's a contract, they make agreements with one another uh, to become one, to become one, uh, one family, to become one. And the Lord, in this case, we see here that the Lord is the author of his contract that he offers to us. And everything that we need to do as sheep follow a shepherd, we need to follow him and do what he says. And be obedient to his words. Verse 6. 
Seventh, a mutual covenant between God and man is the responsibility to build an ark for the salvation of your household. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Genesis 6, 17, 18. These are words that the Lord addressed to Noah. The revelation of what the measurements of the ark are supposed to be, the material it is supposed to be built with, and the heart you need to, you need to have when building it, is the silver given for us to invest or to turn for our profit. All of the measurements, the atmosphere, all of this speaks of the conditions uh, upon which the Lord is willing to cooperate with us so we can build our ourselves into a house of God. Hebrews 11.7 By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. To work your salvation or to prepare the ark for salvation for your household is to be done in the fear of the Lord, as Noah did. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, as it's written, moved with godly fear. Philippians 2, 12-13 Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Philippians 2, 12, 13. You can't work your salvation without fear and trembling or without reverence. Receiving such silver or such truth, such salvation, is you agreeing to fulfill your role contained in a covenant with God, at the same time entrusting such silver to man is the role of God. Now let's look in what way we need to treat the silver. What do we do with the silver? Acts 16.30-33 And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stri- their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Acts 16, 30-33. And so here he says, you and your household shall be saved if you will pr- believe in Jesus Christ, if you will correctly abide in his covenant. As it says, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. They were teaching them how to build themselves into a house of God and, and but how to build this ark. And you will need to know, Noah uh, was given instruction how, to, how he is supposed to build uh the ark so that it would be able to withstand the storms and the hits that it was going to uh, endure during these storms during the waves uh, and the clashing of the waves against the ship and he was in fear this is how he's working his salvation same thing here he, uh, they told him you 
and your house will be household will be saved. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and they took them the same hour for the night and washed their stripes, and they were baptized. And they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We need to understand that that whether we're building this ark or not, whether we're building this ark, we will have a specific fear and trembling on what the things that will come upon this world and so what was in the time of Noah these uh, these were just uh, little little examples of the things that will happen when God truly begins to judge the Antichrist refusal to turn your silver to profit is a refusal to build your ark or to work your salvation in accordance with a made with God covenant contained in the governing teaching of Jesus Christ Second Peter two twenty one twenty two. For it would be have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandments delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb: a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow, having washed to her wallowing in the mire. And so people maybe that were in dominations, Baptists or others, will decide that they will go back to those uh, denominations they were in that did not give them uh, spiritual bread and they go back to these denominations because they did not keep the holy commandments of God and those who were maybe before receiving the truth uh, did fornicating works who drank who did other sins just go back to doing those kinds of things uh, return to those things because they did not keep uh, the commandments of uh, the holy commandments that were delivered to them eighth a mutual covenant between God and man this contract we're looking at it as a whole what a mutual contact contract with God is a mutual covenant this is the right of a person to enter the sovereign presence of God and God the sovereign presence of man so how can you enter the sovereign presence of God sometimes it's difficult to approach as you know even in, in the regular everyday life it's hard to sometimes approach a person because there's a specific uh, space or bubble around a person typically it's in their presence their area uh, and sometimes as you would expect if you approach somebody in a store very closely they would be confused as to why you're so close as 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 if you're very very close to them it, uh, so as uh, for example it'd be three feet around you it's uh, your space your area and if a person is close, uh, not uh, is out of that boundary, it seems comfortable, and you won't be questioning why they're so close. But and so uh, typically, this can happen. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to approach somebody uh, at a very close, at a close distance, or very closely. And so we need to understand how to enter into God's presence, and we need to see how God enters our sovereign presence. Revelations 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. God stands at the door and knocks. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. 
He won't be shouting or banging on the door. He's just knocking. Sometimes uh, during during I, I I work and sometimes you can come to a door and it says please don't uh, ring the bell, where people just keep ringing and ringing the bell, and they irritate the person inside. And so I typically never, uh, as a habit, just don't don't use the bell if, if it's possible. Practically by the means of his unique knock. The Father's knock upon the door of the human heart, God determines whether this person has his likeness or not. And such a likeness of God within the heart of man is identified by two criteria. First, the ability to hear the voice of God, and second, the ability to open the door of your heart. And so that's why he, how he determines whether the person behind the door is his or not. Right now, he's doing what? He's knocking upon our heart using the voice, using my voice and no it's not because i have a special voice i'm reading the words of god and uh and i read the words that god has given to a special person uh and passed on to us and so when they when we read it it becomes the voice of god that's spoken to us the lord knocks uh using his voice his knock his knock is his voice that he's knocking at our door and we if we go and we open the door and if we open there, that means we are God's person, or a person who will open that door is God's person. According to these two factors, we can make the next conclusions. First, the knock of God upon the heart to identify the quality of his heart, whether it is good or evil, is the voice of God. This knock is the voice of God. <clears throat> Second, to hear the voice of God, it is necessary to have a circumcised ear, a heart that is in a covenant with God. We're talking about the the doctrine of the of laying on of the hands, the covenant covenant of blood, uh, salt, and and rest. And so, if we hear the knock, that means we have a circumcised ear. That means we are in a covenant with God. Third, the ability to open the door of your heart so you can listen to the voice of God is the ability to understand and accept the preached word of the kingdom of heaven into the soil of your heart. And such reception can only happen by keeping yourself within the covenant you made with God. Keeping yourself happens by the means of abiding in the trials of Christ. And so when the Lord has knocked upon our door, we heard this voice, we opened the door, we accepted him, and he came into our heart. Now we need to keep this word that is knocking upon our door now. And now you need to keep it, and you can within the trials of Christ. You need to pay the appropriate price. Luke twenty-two twenty-eight through 30. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And now the Lord invites us, not as guests, but as his children. First, he knocks upon our door. We hear his voice. We invite him in. We dine with him. <clears throat> we begin to have this, uh, put breads upon this table of showbreads. We confess this truth. We meditate upon this truth. And now the Lord says, I invite you to, for, to myself. And you say, Lord, how? If you keep my word to persevere, 
<clears throat> because it says, as you are continuous me in my trials, and I bestow you upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me. To continue in the trials of Christ is to keep his word to persevere or to remain faithful to an appointed place within the body of Christ. As soon as the tempter of souls is successful in convincing us to leave our place within the body of Christ, our names are blotted out of the book of life. Therefore, to keep his word to persevere, which identifies our responsibility for keeping a covenant with God, giving God the right to enter our sovereign presence, and we, in turn, receive the right to enter into the sovereign presence of God, it is necessary to overcome the tempter with the power contained in a covenant with God. Revelations 3.21 To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And so here, this is how the Lord finishes. We need to keep a covenant. Today we're talking about the doctrine of laying on of the hands. This is a covenant, a teaching of the covenant, a teaching of a contract between God and man. And it is necessary to keep it. How do you keep it? First, you need to, as we heard, we need to hear this voice, accept this voice, accept this word. And when we accept it, we need to keep it. How do you know whether we keep this word or not? If we stay upon the place, remain upon the place God has uh, called us to, we keep the word to persevere. If we not are not, that means we've lost <clears throat> this. Uh, we have lost it. And if we have not uh, kept the words to persevere, uh, that means that the names are blotted out of the book of life. And so right now, we are going to pray, and I call upon this place every holy person who can again confirm and uh, again make this covenant with God if necessary. And so, This is for the Lord to be able to receive us as an, a burnt offering, and He can't receive us as a burnt offering until He with His salt and fire won't protect us from our enemy, won't separate us from us, our enemy, and will not kill the enemy in us. And when He protects us, when He separates us from our enemies and kills the enemy within us, then we will say, Lord, not my will, but Your will be, and this <clears throat> fire will then come upon me and... I will be like that bush that does not uh, burn. It's burning, but it does not burn. And so that which needs to actually be burned will be burned. Lust, sin, all these things need to be burned. And for this, the Lord has given his blood. And in his blood, there's salt. And so the Lord's blood is salty. It's salty that it's... Uh, it, it burns as a fire and so there's a blood that uh, withholds sin and one that contains sin one that destroys sin right now we will pray amen
I will be praying our prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that God is on your side. He's not against you. He has loved you with an eternal love. He has given us the work of his redemption. He has stood between us and our enemies to protect us from our enemies, to separate us from our enemies, to destroy our enemy and to lift us up to his level. This is your Close your eyes. This is your secret room. Lift your hands to God. This is a sign that your hands are without wrath or doubt. Pray together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you and upon this holy place in the church of your holy nation, I open my heart so that you may see my pain, my suffering, my wounds that are inflicted by sin and lust that I hate and that I reject. I come to you with my illnesses, with my fears, with pampered dignity, with dishonor. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, heal my wounds, restore me, and protect me with the blood of your Son. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven, and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they will not touch you. May upon you the blessing of the ancient mountains and everlasting hills be. May with noise the stronghold of death be thrusted out of your body, and in its place may the stronghold of life be erected. May all this be upon you and your children, and be fulfilled upon you, and the nation shall say, Amen. Let us hear the word of God standing. 1 Corinthians 11, 23-32 For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had t- given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the Lord, of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are, are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Please be seated.
Again, with great joy, I will remind us of the words of our pastor, Arkady, that speaks of who, he speaks of who can participate, partake in communion, one who has confirmed his faith in baptism of water. Also, all children that are 16 years old and younger, but if you're 16 or older, 17, 18, and a person says, I don't want to be baptized, I understand. In my time, I also had to make a choice. I knew that there were certain friends I had to uh, leave, certain uh, habits I had to leave, uh, foolish films to uh, that I needed to stop watching. You need to separate from certain things. And people uh, hold off, and you can't hold off. You have to make a decision. And baptism of water is when we experience circumcision, our heart and ear is circumcised and we're submerged into the death of the Lord Jesus. And so if we have not been baptized in water and have not confirmed our faith in the baptism of water and we're 16 or older, then I would ask you to withhold yourselves. Anyone who is under some uh, sort of warning or anybody excommunicated, I will ask you to withhold if there are guests who are also excommunicated in some way in any church I will ask you to withhold you need to discern the Lord's body during communion to discern the Lord's body is to understand the great mystery of godliness understand the uniqueness of the fullness uh, that is the Lord and so to partake to take of the bread and drink of the cup I can't do it alone I can't do it with my family this is something I have to this that requires either multiple families and they need to call Pastor Kadi and uh, ask Pastor Kadi we have multiple families we want to partake the pastor will communicate and if he finds a reasonable person who can stand as or become a leader overseeing this group uh, then he will permit it but if there's no one nearby then it's enough uh, together with Israel to come uh, three times a year like they did in the the feast that they would attend uh, symbolically the three feasts that they would attend and so if you're in uh, Germany or any other country there Ukraine the, these are small uh, countries uh, uh, and And so if there's nobody or any, anything around you where you could partake and participate, then you might need to truly uh, uh, move or change your place, uh, location of living or place of living. Uh, if there truly isn't anyone maybe around, uh, around you. And so let us stand and pray for the, for the bread. Please stretch out your right hand as a symbol and we will pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your broken body, the body of Jesus Christ, in the form of this bread, when it shall be passing by your people, and we will be taking of it and eating of it. May the might of your life be upon us, and may overcome death and destroy it within our bodies. May our bodies be fully healed by taking part and eating of this bread. 
we thank you for the healing of our bodies, and we worship before you, our great God, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And he had taken bread and said, Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Please be seated. And that road that is approached, please stand and help assist one another. This is discerning the Lord's body. Discerning the Lord's body is how can I serve my brother or my sister? And we would like to remember when we were going through the teaching of the baptisms, baptism of fire, the Lord revealed to us the mystery of the cup. It turns out that the cup that we are drinking from today is a destiny of Christ. And we will drink from it because he agreed to drink our cup. And when he looked at what is in my cup, our cup, Jesus became afraid and said, Lord, is there nothing else? And the Father says, I don't have anything else. And he knew that when he drinks what is within our cup, he will take our destiny, our illnesses, our destinies, all of our imperfections, all of our lusts, he'll drink and will become sin. He will become the sacrifice for sin. And because he became a sacrifice for sin, we become an a burnt offering, an offering that the Lord absolutely accepts because Jesus was absolutely rejected by the Father. And so for us to be absolutely accepted, we need he needs he needed to absolutely reject his son Jesus Christ. And now we examine ourselves whether we are drinking from this cup and be this cup of the teaching of the baptism of fire, the pastor revealed the essence of this cup, what needs to be in this cup, the cup that we will drink, the character we need to have, the character of Christ. This is to become a son of God. This is to become as Jesus Christ. And while we are partaking in the communion, I want to remember that components of the cup the first component of the cup to prepare us for the baptism of fire is payment the price for to have a poverty of the spirit this is the sermon that Jesus uh, had made upon the mountain in scripture it says blessed is the one poor in spirit for of the, such is the kingdom of heaven according to these words the poor in spirit are those who absolutely depend upon God They don't depend upon their personal understandings, their denominations, their opinions. They don't rely upon their own experiences. They're poor in spirit, as Jesus is poor. And we need to have this poverty. When we drink of this cup, we say, Lord, thank you that in this new covenant, there is the poverty of Christ. And as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. The next component of the cup 
to prepare us for the baptism of fire is to demonstrate our plea before God in tears. In Matthew, it's written, Blessed is the one who mourns, for they shall be comforted. According to this place of scripture, these are not tears of sadness and destruction. These are tears of humility and and, and awe. And also suffering that follows comfort. And so a person who is holy is a person who mourns. And so when John saw in the book of Revelations that there was no one to be able to open the seals of the scroll, he began to cry. And the one at his side said, don't cry, here's the line of the tribe of Judah. He will. He has overcome and will be able to open the seals. And he wanted to see this lion. And when he turned, there was a lamb, a one-year-old lamb, with a with a, a neck that was cut. This is the line from the tribe of Judah. This is when we can see in ourselves the simplicity of a dove and the wisdom of a serpent. Important qualities. And so the simplicity of a dove plus the wisdom of a serpent, this is the lamb. Let us stand up and we will pray for the cup. Stretch out your right hand and I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the cup of the new covenant poured out for the sins, for the forgiveness of the sins when it shall be passing by your people and we will take of it and drink of it. May the might of life be in us and may overcome death, and may it swallow up death in our bodies. We thank you that you have blotted out our sins before your face and have redeemed us from the sinful life passed on to us from our parents. We worship before the cup of the new covenant, our great God, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. That road that is approached, please stand and assist one another as you did with the cup. As a, with the bread, the third component to prepare us for baptism of fire is having gentleness that is like Christ's. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And so this is to ent- enter the inheritance that the Lord has prepared for us. This is receiving the salvation of God for our spirit, for our mortal body, and the adoption of our mortal <coughs> adoption of our mortal body and so this is the component of the cups that we receive and this can happen because of the gentleness that is in us and so this meekness this gentleness when we have a gentle or meek mouth let us note for ourselves let us absolutely note for ourselves that only one who is meek will inherit the promised land if we don't have this gentleness or meekness And this doesn't mean always just speaking very gently or convincingly, but speak what the Lord says and within the boundaries in which the Lord allows it to be said. I can sometimes say the right thing, but the Lord didn't send me to say it, and God will call it evil. Sometimes the Lord has sent me, and I began to uh, lie or, or be hypocritical before another, and such hypocrisy Apostle Paul saw in another apostle, Peter, and he corrected him out in front of everyone. 
And so he asked him, Did you not truly want to receive the inheritance of your body? Why are you hypocritical before men? Why are you seeking the favor of others? Why seek the Lord? And Apostle Peter did not get upset. He accepted this correction. And he acknowledged him. He acknowledged uh, him in as an authority as well. And after that, he did. He no longer uh, did those things. He didn't. He no longer had uh, acted in such a way, in a hypocritical way, uh, after the correction, because Peter was a holy person, and Jesus, not like anyone else, he corrected Peter, and this is the death that you experience for yourself. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. And so there are a lot more components and you will be able to read these things and listen to them. It's all written and provided what's supposed to be in our heart when we become this cup. Um, And then the fire that will come down upon us, this will be, uh, it will not affect us in a negative way or not cause us any pain. And so the cup is not suffering. The cup is not suffering. The cup is blissfulness. When we become this cup, we become the bliss of God. And when the Lord in His fire receives us, this is the most uh, amazing uh, moment for which it's worth uh, living. When He takes our offering, this is the peace of God, righteousness. It completely takes hold of our body, takes over us. This For this, it's it's worth living for this and so the fire of the Lord will be doing its work destroying uh, what it needs to and destroy uh, sin with fire and so he begins first just uh, he starts first uh, putting his salt and so the salt separates us from uh, the sin he begins to put it away and he by the covenant of salt Uh, received the kingdom and then after the salt uh, he then applies this fire that will be able to destroy the 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 sin that we have been separated from because the fire as you know doesn't preserve anything it destroys salt does preserve and so first he allows us to become familiar with salt the Lord and then he he allows us to become familiar with the fire Uh, and this fire will not then harm us, we will lift up our hands to God and He accepts us and we experience great bliss in that moment. And so if there's anyone that may have been been accidentally passed by, please stand. If not, I will ask everyone to stand up and we'll finish with our manifestation. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. <laughs>